All right, folks, Cam is slowly but surely getting back to North American soil. He has been enjoying Europe on a very well-deserved vacation this past month. Uh, but we've got a bit of a surprise a bonus a content for you before we jump on over to our regular, uh, I guess, Lower Decks reviews that we'll be resuming. And uh, we have a bit of a backlog to, to get to on Lower Decks, but it'll be lots of fun. In the meantime, uh, what surprise do we have for our listeners right here, Cameron? Perhaps the most bizarre episode to ever land on this feed. Back in the day, we had a really fun episode called The Beginner's Guide to Star Trek. You can search for a link to that in the show notes. But it was a competition between Tyler and I to pick episodes that would win over someone who was new to the franchise. And the loser, who picked the least number of episodes that connected, had to do a commentary for an episode of the winner's choosing. I lost, and so I had to do a solo commentary for Shades of Grey. I think it's a lot of fun and worth the revisit for myself and first-time visit for many of you. Kim, had I lost, what episode would you have made me watch? I think I was pondering Tattoo, the Chakotay Tattoo <laughs> origin story from Voyager. I think that, in the back of my head, that's what I recall. Well, joke's on you, because I just rewatched that episode for fun last night. <laughs> that is classic you. <laughs> Tattoo Tyler. <laughs> that's what my nickname is among <laughs> Star Trek circles. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. <laughs> um, I know you're all on tenterhooks waiting for the Shades of Grey commentary, so we won't waste any more of your time at this point. We're sorry. Enjoy. <laughs> Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where one broken, dejected Trek fan steps into the arena and tackles the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and I am here for my shame podcast. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please go and download episode 150 from our archives, The Beginner's Guide to Star Trek, and all of this will make sense why you are now watching a Shades of Grey commentary. So, without further ado, let's start this misery. I hope you're all here to join me for this party. Let's count it down now. Three, two, one, go. Oh, uh, yep. Enterprise looks great. Now, I guess the question is, first off, why does this episode exist? Because we know it's bad. It was made because so the studio wanted to cut budget on season two. There'd been a writer's strike at the start, and then they'd spent a lot of money on episodes like Elementary Dear Data, and so they asked Maurice Hurley to cut the budget for the end, so we got this bottle episode, which mostly devolves around Riker having a leg infection. So right now we see Jordy and Riker. They're on Dagobah. They've been searching for Yoda, obviously, uh, but he's hiding. <clears throat> I mean you no harm! But, um... Riker has now hurt his leg mysteriously, and we are now seeing the dramatic reveal. Here we go, Brian is on the screen. Um, I'm surprised they decided to pay him to show up this week, but, you know, I guess props to them for doing that. But, you know, I do kind of like the overall premise of this idea of this episode of just, you know, a crew member having the most insignificant injury and hell just being sprung from it, but, I mean, it's not done well. So, I mean, I don't know, kind of a loss. It's interesting in the promo... For this episode, um, there is no mention at all that it is a recap episode. It's that classic thing 
any child of the 80s or 90s remembers where you'd see a commercial for the next episode of, I don't know, Simpsons, Full House, whatever, Hanging with Mr. Cooper. And it would look like a maybe fun episode, and then you would watch it, and it would be all, you know, like 50% recycled footage. Those are the worst days. Um, so Pulaski's on screen right now. This is the final episode for Diana Maldor as Pulaski. I, I like her a lot. Um, I think she actually added a weird energy to the show that we never saw replicated. It is obviously very much a, you know, nod to Bones, but, um, I, I don't dislike her. I know fans don't like her because she replaced Beverly Crusher, but I'd be curious to know what would have happened had she been there from day one as opposed to, you know, Gates McFadden or had the two of them together. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe Pulaski could have been Nurse Ogawa. I don't know. Maybe there's another spin-off episode of the podcast just to we can examine that what if. So, we're really delving into uh, Riker's leg. Um, you know, originally they wanted to jokingly call this episode uh, Riker's Brain in a nod to Spock's brain. That was shot down, obviously. I think they should have called it Riker's Leg. I think that would have been pretty funny. So, you know, we're still back on Dagobah. The X-Wing is sunk, as you can see, um, but there's smoke, you know. It's very Dagobah-ish. Help him up, boys. Hmm. What is the feeling of when your leg goes dead, Riker? Give us a little more there. You know, it took three writers to put this thing together. Um... I'm fascinated by this because, as we know, it took four writers to put together yesterday's Enterprise. And, you know, they had to do a real rush job to get that thing together. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't... I mean, Maurice Hurley, who co-wrote this, one of the three, uh, he's called this episode a piece of... Well, I'll let you fill in the blank. Um, I don't think he's too far off. I don't think anyone involved in this episode really wanted to do it. I think it was kind of like a... Thanks for funding our season, CBS and Paramount. Uh, I guess we'll do this episode, because you want us to. Uh, can we please never do it again? Awesome, thanks. You got it. I don't know if Rob Bowman puts this one on his highlight reel for directing. So, you know, normally the opening credits, as I'm watching now, are the only recycled footage in an episode. Not this week. That's what makes Shades of Grey special, folks. This is like a preview for what's to come. Things I've seen over and over again. Michael Dorn. Not in this episode. At least not in, uh, you know, footage shot for this episode. Neither is Will Wheaton, but I don't know if people really complain about that. Come on, people. Let's get this misery going. You know... This is probably the best part of the episode. I shouldn't be glossing over it because it's all downhill after the opening credits. But, you know, I like to see it, you know, the Enterprise flying by. It's exciting. Must have been fun writing a captain's log for this episode. Captain's log. Riker scratched his leg. That's about it. Ah, yes. The un unidentified microbe. Classic. This sickbay makes no sense to me. Like, how how would you be comfortable? You're laying out in the middle of a room. I know we've talked about this before on the podcast, but i got to fill time here. Um, like, I don't mind all the techno mumbo-jumbo, all that sort of stuff. It's fun. I think Pulaski, you know, Diana Maldor delivers it well. 
she, you know what? Props to Diana Maldor and for uh, and to uh, Marina Sirtis for this episode because they have to really carry it. You know, Patrick Stewart, he knows where he is in the pecking order. He pops in and out to kind of be like, is everything going okay? But he's not hanging around for, you know, half an hour this episode or 25 minutes or whatever percent it is of newly shot footage. But uh, poor Diana Maldor and Marina Sirtis, they got to slog it out and really carry it. So, you know... I have to talk about how I feel bad for actors saddled with bad material. These two are just like swinging away like champs. And, you know, it's an armless man pitching the ball to them. Or it's uh, Burnt Pike. That'd be perhaps more uh, appropriate. Mmm, he could die. I wonder if back in, uh, when people were watching this episode... They felt like it was a possibility, given that Tashiar had died in Skin of Evil, also unceremoniously. I doubt it, but uh, I don't know. Maybe there was one person out there somewhere. I wonder if Brent Spiner was annoyed about having to have all the makeup put on for this episode. He's a company man, people. A good one, too. They're going back to Dagobah, because the X-Wing is still sunk, and... Uh, Jordy hasn't completed his Jedi, uh, Jedi training yet. I'm still shocked they pay, uh, paid O'Brien to be here. I mean, I, I imagine that uh, Cole Meany wasn't charging a lot in those days, but nonetheless, people, this is a bargain basement episode. Save where you can. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. No animal life forms. Well, other than, you know, perhaps a great Jedi Master. <laughs> I'm hiding just to your right. Warmer. Warmer. Now, as I recall, this tentacle was responsible for hauling R2-D2 underwater. So it's very dangerous. You can see Jordy's taking a cautious kneel here. I don't know if that's careful data. This is not a great prop. I mean, couldn't they have put, like, I don't know, suction cups on it or something? I mean, at least give me the, you know, the feel that this isn't just a stick. And in this case, a rubber stick. How Yoda's put up with, uh, you know... Sentient rubber sticks for so long is beyond me. That's why he's a great Jedi. So we have to get the blue slug or whatever it is. Uh, I don't know. See more of them in the movie Slithers. Or inside of people in Conspiracy. Not, a mo not the most dramatic away mission there. I mean, I don't feel that that was a particularly challenging task to... Uh, Grab the sentient stick and, you know, use a phaser to raise her off a uh, blue slug. Not a lot of dramatic appeal to it. There wasn't even, like, a hunt for the blue slug. But I guess they had to get to that recycled footage. You know, I feel like this episode could have been maybe, like, some sort of ode to, like, red shirts. And just how, how you know, loose our grasp on life can be. But, um, you know, obviously in the original series, you know, they were, red shirts were getting killed in all sorts of really mundane or silly ways. 
you know, turned into salt cubes and what have you. There is a precedent to explore that sort of thing, but I feel like this episode is not it, and I don't think it even wanted to be. Uh, I, I don't think there was really any thinking put into it whatsoever. Yep, here we go, some nice Enterprise shots. They have some style to them. Look at Anna Muldoor, man. She looks so concerned. Like, she is acting, people. Take notes. Like, she's looking at a screen. She knows she's, like, working in a recap episode. And yet, I believe that she passionately wants to solve Riker's leg. She's doing her best. You know who isn't? The writers this week. <laughs> so uncomfortable. If I went to a hospital and they put me in a bed with no like covers and just wheeled me out in the middle of a room surrounded by others, uh, oh man, I'd be like diving out the window. Assuming there is a window. There isn't one here. There's nothing to look at other than the ceiling. No, he's not comfortable, Picard. Don't be sassy. See, I mean, they seem to be hinting at, like, kind of the meaningless death of Tasha Yar. I just have zero faith that that's what they, <laughs> these things happen. That is what uh, I believe Picard said when his, uh, you know, family died in a fire. These things happen. So I like to think that the makers of Star Trek Generations watched Shades of Grey for inspiration when it came to writing the trauma of Picard dealing with Robert and Renee's death. That would be uh, something. Something to come out of this episode, other than this uh, commentary. This has to be the only Shades of Grey commentary in existence, right? Like, there's not another. Especially a solo one. Is this a problem with the 24th century? Like, Riker seems way too laid back to be dying from, a, like, a leg scratch. I mean, look, I don't want to see him raging around the room, throwing things in the air and screaming at, like, Pulaski... But he just looks like he's, like, getting some R&R &R time. I, I don't know. If my leg was dead, I'd be a little more upset. But, I mean, is this what Roddenberry envisioned? A future where, like, people just don't care, really, about bad things that happen? Because I don't know that that's a reasonable thing. That's really um throwing out a whack the way that humans process emotion. Whatever. I guess when you have a counselor on the bridge, you know, these things are easier because you've got daily counselor sessions. Maybe I should have daily counselor sessions. Especially after doing this. They sure are, as we saw from Moose Riker. <laughs> in, uh, what episode? The Icarus line. We've just learned that Moose Riker, or, uh, you know... Riker's uh, surly father was bitten by a rattlesnake. Or his grandfather was, sorry. Also played by the same actor, I'm going to assume, in this fantasy scenario. No, no, I'd be screaming. Does Riker have to set an example? I feel like Picard has to as the captain. I feel like the first officer has a little more leeway to just lose his shit. But... Oh, I didn't graduate from Starfleet. 
I wouldn't even live up to like Jake Sisko ideals. I'd be more like Richard Bashir's. Yeah, Richard Bashir. Ah, uh, yes, that famous Riker sense of humor. Of which we saw, you know, referenced in uh, Skin of Evil, where Tashi Yar said, Riker, you always made me laugh. Riker, you ain't make making me laugh right now. Oh, he's flatlining, folks, along with the creative energy of this episode. I love the dramatic music kicking on. I mean, someone is putting effort into this episode, and, you know, props to them. I suppose. Although they're probably getting paid fairly well. Uh, I guess I'd do the same. This doesn't strike me as the greatest medical mystery Pulaski's ever faced, but damn if Diana Maldor isn't convincing me of otherwise. Oh, it's going to his brain. You see, this is why they wanted to call it Riker's brain. Now, this is horrific, exorcist-level medical equipment. I mean, if you're telling me this is what the 24th century has to offer, uh, I'm happy going well before that, because I do not need, what, like six needles, five needles jammed into my brain. This is awful. Like, seriously, Reagan in Exorcist went through less with her spinal tap. Ugh. I have a friend who's like really, really freaked out by needles. This episode would like cause an aneurysm for him. Frakes is really sleepwalking through this episode, you could say. Waka waka. What's the um, recoup time like coming off of the uh, brain probes here? I, I have a hard time believing you just wake up and, you know, don't feel any effects from it. I would have to think you would, right? It only makes sense. Wouldn't this cause like a lobotomy? Is it really great to jab like metal things into your brain? Ah, uh, the wonders of the 24th century medicine. Look at Marina Sirtis, like, emoting. She's emoting when she knows that flashbacks are coming up. We are in the last outpost, people. You know, I don't know if a flashback episode would have been that offensive in, like, season six or seven, where you have, like, great, great episodes to flashback on. But uh, season one and two, not so much. Yep. Oh, yeah. I don't know why he... Uh, this is a really bizarre use of footage out of context. The idea that I guess Riker's in some sort of dream state and can't hear anyone. But, I mean... I don't know that he would be doing that in the same... Like, he would be reliving the same adventurous moment he experienced, like, a year ago. Especially one involving laser whip-wielding Ferengi. Anybody! I like the echo effect on that. It'd be pretty cool if I had an echo effect going right now, actually. 
These tears are not worth it, Marina. They're not worth it. Hang on, Will. We need more flashbacks. We're rapidly running out of footage. It's weird because this whole medical mystery doesn't even involve like, hey, Jordy, go down to that planet and I need you to do this, 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 and this. It's like, nope, we just got to exchange techno babble and speed up the flashbacks. Uh, it's so stupid. So, so stupid. Um, it's not even Star Trek y. Like, what would you learn from this? What's the moral of this episode? That if I'm ever sick, I should start remembering my various adventures? that really have nothing to do with, you know, my development, because obviously we're not learning about Riker's previous life before he, as we see from this clip right now, stepped onto the uh, the bridge of the Enterprise and met Data. We don't learn about anything about him as a child. Nothing. This episode, despite being a flashback on Riker's whole background, tells us absolutely nothing about Riker, which I think maybe is the ultimate failing of this flashback episode is that I learned nothing. Only that the uh, creators of this episode had very bizarre tastes in which footage was worth recycling. I mean, Encounter at Farpoint, it's kind of a mixed bag of an episode. Is this the highlight? I, I guess. Maybe when it comes to Riker. I don't know that he did that much exciting in that episode. He did have, have that really cool um, discussion with Picard about being his first officer. There's more you know, dramatic depth to that scene than anything in this whole shambles. He skips across those rocks very nimbly. I'm impressed. I wonder how many takes they did where he fell off. This is not Dagobah. This is Endor. The Ewoks are nearby somewhere. Oh, Pop goes the weasel. And there would be a... Brent Spiner would uh, flash back to that in, I believe, Brothers. I think it was Brothers. Um, I, I, I had forgotten that this was a recurring motif of Data, whistling Pop Goes the Weasel. I don't know that that's the most endearing trait of Data. It's always weird watching first episodes because the characters are, are just a little bit off. Um, Brent Spiner seems a little bit chilly, whereas like Data's, you know, emotionally aloof, obviously, is an android, but he never feels like a cold character to me. He he has those kind of, uh, he gives off that kind of vibe here a bit, and obviously that would be fixed in like the next episode or the one after that. But, you know, go back and watch the first episode of Friends. I don't know what show those people are acting in. They're like way off model. Especially David Schwimmer. He's going full Woody Allen. I think it's a little derogatory for uh, Frakes to be calling Brent Spiner Pinocchio in this scene. I mean, it's really... Look, we all, look, Riker, we already know that you outrank me. Do you really need to call me Pinocchio too? Especially since you know that I just want to be a real human. You're now hanging that over my head. And I have no whale to like swim inside of and then be redeemed through. There's no blue fairy to save me. I have no hope. Okay, I actually love this scene. 
I think, um, you know, season two has a lot of uh, clunking moments throughout. It's not a good season. But, um, I mean, I, you do have Measure of a Man. That's great. But, um, which, is not, which is not shown in this episode, bizarrely, for its uh, flashback footage. But that's a whole other discussion. But, you know, I do like watching Riker and uh, Guinan teach Wesley about love. This is from the Dauphin, of course. Um, I mean, look. This dialogue is insane. Like, it's really, really crazy. The fact that someone on the writing staff, I don't know who wrote this episode, um, this that they thought that this would be passable romantic dialogue. It's kind of reminiscent of the movie Die Another Day, where James Bond first meets Halle Berry's uh, Jinx character. And their dialogue is almost like someone wrote it, translated it into, I don't know, say Swahili, and then translated it back into English, and then maybe to, I don't know, Norwegian, and then back to English again, and it sounds like complete gibberish. That's what this sounds like, but it works for the scene, because Wesley's the character we're seeing it through, and he's as bewildered and baffled by it all as we are. Um, it's just funny to me that, like, Riker's way into this, as is Guinan, as we saw, telling Wesley to shut up, because she wants to hear more. But I think that is more to do with the the charm of Riker than about, you know, men and women. I don't think if your average man on the street tried this, it's going to fly. But, I mean, 1989 Jonathan Frakes? Oh, it's going to fly. Here we have a clip from the Icarus Factor. Unfortunately, not involving, like, futuristic uh, martial arts and stupid outfits. This is the scene where Riker is going you know, thinks he's going to leave the Enterprise. And Troy is upset by this, obviously. Imzadi, no! Our feelings are what make us all human. Said by a guy in a show that has a notable absence of feelings. God, Marina Sirtis can turn on those waterworks so good. I mean, the Icarus line is a ter terrible episode, but I mean, or Icarus Factor, rather. I think I've been saying Icarus line, but it's Icarus Factor. Um, feelings of warmth and friendship. <laughs> oh, man, Marina. I feel for you. Warmth and friendship. What's funny is that, you know, we've seen he's flashing back these moments of warmth and friendship. And that's the way the, the writers, I guess, decide to assemble the footage, which is like going from warmth and friendship to, <laughs> as we're about to see, sexiness. Oh, look at those eyebrows wiggling. You know. Oh, yeah. And speaking of sexiness, here we are in one of my favorite episodes, Justice. Look at those Edo calisthenics. This scene, you know, okay, I don't believe that Riker would be, like, flashing back to, like, saying goodbye to Troy when he never actually left. I believe he would be flashing back to this. Especially that oiled-up man whose buttocks are prominently displayed right now. Um, but no, I totally buy that he would be flashing back to this. This is, like, Riker's heaven. So, look at this. Him and Worf, they are so down with this. Like, I get this. Oh, here we go to the Binar episode. Uh, I'm not going to try and pronounce it. It's just a series of ones and zeros. 
I'll let you guys uh, recite the title of that one at home. His obsession with Minuet never makes sense to me. Like, he's really into this hologram in a big, bad way. And, um, I just don't get it. Like, I gotta say, okay, Riker, if you're on your deathbed and you're flashing back to a love affair with a hologram program, you've done it wrong. I mean... What does Riker get out of this? You know, at least Janeway had the good sense in uh, Fairhaven to realize that this was not a great relationship and not particularly, um, it just didn't work, uh, despite what Chakotay said. But Riker, to me, seems to have no self-awareness that this is perhaps, I don't know, maybe it's my, maybe I'm just being small-minded. Oh, we're back with Minuet. We needed multiple flashbacks of Minuet people. Which tells me that this is the most important relationship in Riker's life. Because I don't know that there's that many clips of him and Deanna Troy. Other than that one we saw of, you know, them saying farewell. But we're seeing multiple clips of Minuet. I don't know that this Riker is representative of the Riker we would see later. I have a lot of trouble imagining, like, season 4 or 5 Riker behaving like this. He seems like really like just, I don't know, starry-eyed and naive in a way that I don't think really fits the character of Riker. I mean, I could see like maybe a young Bashir falling for this sort of stuff. Although, I guess, oh, Angel One. Angel One is a, uh, I don't know, I got nothing to say about Angel One. It's a dumb episode. I thought this actress was good, though. She uh, brought a lot to a pretty much nothing part. Kind of an insulting part, quite frankly. <laughs> Like, no man ever has. I've often, uh... Yes, this woman says that, no, you know, Riker attracts her like no man ever has. I've often wondered if Riker, for Gene Runbury in those latter two years, was sort of a um, conduit for him to kind of channel his sexual fantasies through. Because we know he, um... Uh, we know that he really fixated on, um... Sorry, I'm distracted. I don't blame Riker for flashing back to this scene from Up the Long Ladder. I'll, I'll give him this one. I think I would probably do the same. But anyway, uh, Roddenberry would often say that, you know, Wesley was like a representative of what he would have liked to have been as a child. We know when he was doing the original series that Kirk was what he wanted to be. I think that Riker was that character. I mean, I remember there was a quote uh, from a writer on, or a producer on Mud's Women, where they said one of the big problems was Gene Roddenberry writing his sexual fantasies into Star Trek. When we get to Next Generation, Gene Roddenberry has a lot of power for Season 1 and 2. And that's where you see a lot of kind of crazy stuff with uh, Riker's sex life. Um, and so I've often kind of wondered uh, if that was a little bit of what was going on there. Because that stuff really drops off once we get to Season 3 and, you know, Pillar come in and all that. But, you know, early on, like, I think the episode Haven, he's watching, like, virtual, like, girls dancing and stuff like that. And he seems really into it. Um... Riker's a real horn dog in like season one and two in a way that it was not the case moving forward. But it is entertaining to watch, I will say that. I love that they're solving the mystery by the flashbacks. I mean, I guess what, that's part of the genius with having Troy there is that Troy can obviously 
communicate to the doctor. Oh, he's feeling, uh, you know, emotions that are angry. Oh, it seems the medical problem is solving itself. Let's induce more angry memories. You know, it, it's just, it's shameless, but it kind of works. Things, speaking of things that are shameless but don't work, here's Skin of Evil and my buddy Armus. Get out of my way, Tasha! I, I will kill you! I've been alone so long. This is an awful episode. Um, there's just really very little redeeming. Although I do like the Armus visual. I think he's pretty cool looking. Goodbye. <laughs> Peace out, Armus style. Now that's a meaningless death. I wonder if, like, had Riker died in this episode, we would say that his was his death was as insulting as Tasha Yar's. Like, Tasha Yar, you had no build-up. But, um, Riker, you've got maybe too much build-up. Oh, this is from uh, a clip from the episode The Child, another beloved episode, a leftover from, um, from, uh, Star Trek uh, The Next Phase, which Roddenberry worked on in the 70s. It was originally going to be uh, Ilya that got pregnant. Um... What could have been, people? Ugh. It's not working, Pulaski. This is... You know, it's very confusing to have an episode which is like Pulaski and Troy hovering over someone, you know, and Troy crying and Pulaski doing medical mumbo-jumbo and then cutting to clips where they are doing the exact same thing, which is what I'm watching with the child right now. I actually, for a second, thought we were back to the uh, Shades of Grey footage, but we were not. Oh. Sadness. He feels sadness. So sadness solves the infection. That would mean that Armus has never had an infection, because he's the saddest man of all. Negative emotions. Wasn't Armus made of negative emotions? They should bring Armus back for this episode. And have him, like, do, like, some sort of tar transplant with Riker and save his life. That would be an episode that it wouldn't be good. Let's let's be straight on that. It would not be good. It would be one of the worst episodes ever. But it would be memorable. It would be, like, the threshold of Star Trek TNG. And then, man, Riker could be part Armus for, like, the rest of the series. And have ooze powers. Oh, man. This is getting exciting. I, got, I might have to stop this commentary to go write some fan fiction. Oh, more flashbacks. Now, we had sadness and anger already. What do we got now? Okay. Okay, I don't know what this is. I guess it's action, because this is a, a scene from A Matter of Honor. The uh, Actually, it's a really good episode. It's season two episode with uh, Riker going to serve on a Klingon vessel and kind of winning their respect over. Season two has a lot of, you know, bad episodes. It, it, most people look at it just for having... Um, Measure of a Man, and a lot of people like Elementary Dear Data. I'm not a fan of that one. But uh, this episode doesn't get brought up much as, as one of the strengths of Season 2, but I actually think it does belong in that category. Maybe we should talk about it on the podcast at some point. This actor, whose name I'm blanking on, um, he played the alien bounty hunter in X-Files. Um, he plays the Klingon we're seeing on screen now, uh, towering over Riker. He was uh, the Vegas Con in like 20, uh, I guess it was 12 or 13. 
And it was a bizarre train wreck panel. He was like making kind of <laughs> kind of inappropriate comments to some of the people in the audience. And he just seemed a little out of it. It was uh it was crazy. It was, I mean it was very entertaining. And honestly, I would not complain if he came back because I mean, I'll say this much. It was a very memorable panel. You know, this isn't bad fight choreography for Season 2 TNG. Um, we would see a lot worse stuff coming up in the, you know, oncoming years. And even on shows like Deep Space Nine and Voyager, this is actually pretty good work. And he jammed his head through a console, kind of like uh, Steven Seagal did to Tommy Lee Jones in Under Siege. So I appreciate that. Uh, that uh, obviously the... Andrew Davis, who shot Under Siege, had watched this episode. Um, here's a conspiracy. Um, you know, like, conspiracy, when I think about that episode, I don't think of this scene, but I should, <laughs> because it's an old man beating up Riker, which is kind of funny. I mean, season one and two had a lot of kind of weird scenes of, like, unimposing people beating up Starfleet members, because you also have the Dauphin... And you have, like, Worf getting beaten up by uh, the Dauphin's aide in, like, beast mode. The wonders for the body. Oh, that is a sweet kick. That is obviously a stunt, du stunt double doing that. <laughs> you see, this scene is clunky. The, the Klingon one was staged well, but in Conspiracy here... Um, it's really awkward, and you can tell it's because they're trying to get around the fact the actor can't do these moves. Um, it's, you know, it just looks clunky, because, yeah. You know, there's a lot of stunt double stuff going on here, and blocking issues. But, uh, I mean, I guess the scene serves its purpose, but it doesn't work the way that the uh, Matter of Honor scene does. Yep, these fight scenes are definitely fighting the infection. Man, like Marina Sirtis is pure emotion throughout this entire episode. Primal emotions. Now we're there, okay. So now we're on primal. But, uh, you know, like she is selling this. I can think of other series. Like, are you telling me if Robert Beltran had to do an episode like this, he'd be putting this level of effort in? I don't think so. You always have a choice, Marina. I kind of like that blanket. It's anything with sequins, you know? It's very futuristic with a capital F and quotations on each end. I would imagine the commercial break was probably as exciting for people watching this at the time as most of the footage in this episode. And they probably seen the commercials less times than they'd seen a lot of this footage. It is crazy how much work this would have been. Like, Rob Bowman having to shoot this would have been just, like, spinning his camera around, you know, this sickbed. Oh, now we're in symbiosis. They've picked really weird episodes to flash back to. Like, symbiosis is, um, 
I mean, it has a great drug speech from Yar, but other than that, it's so forgettable. There's nothing in here. There's nothing in this episode you would really think was worth flashing back to. But apparently this shot of Riker frozen by, you know, this dude's electric hand is enough. Man, season one and two. What a journey they were. No, okay, we're back to the last outpost. This time with laser whip wielding Ferengis. Um, it's funny, like, I just don't feel like I'm... I feel like, you know, most clip shows, at least decent ones, you get something out of the footage. And maybe that's because most shows that do this are sitcoms where you can build to a punchline. There's, like, an exit, a natural exit point to the scene. <laughs> Whereas here, that's not the case. Without a context, these moments just kind of end with no fanfare. Okay, this is pretty great. Riker in the uh, black ooze from uh, We're Back to Skin of Evil again. Um, if I'm Frakes, I want this scene in there just because it would have been hell to shoot. So why wouldn't you want to put that in? Oh, Armus. He's threatening Picard. Picard will soon have the uh, most boring philosophical battle with him. Now, here's uh, some footage from the opening of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I'm talking about the David Fincher version, not the uh, not the uh, foreign film with uh, Numi Rapace. Man, the tension is just unbearable. Will Riker be okay? I wonder what it was like to prep for these episodes. I mean, I, I guess, or for this episode, it was only a three-day shoot, so I guess you can kind of just phone this one in at the end of the season. And this season was only 22 episodes, of course, because of the writer's strike, so they didn't even get the full 26. So they were cut short and then had this tacked onto the end. So, you know. Not the most uh, glorious end to season two. It's just, you know, I, I guess it is the worst season finale. I know Learning Curve gets a lot of crap from us on the podcast, but... Oh, uh, man. What's... I think we're back at Heart of Glory again. I don't know why. It's like they picked, like, a small handful of episodes. They had so much more to work with. Maybe they have to pay residuals to the writers. I wonder if that's what it was. Because there's, you know, better episodes. Like, why wouldn't you show some of the scenes from A Measure of a Man where um, he's now flashing back to moments he wasn't present at, kind of like the end of Jaws the Revenge. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just wonder why, like, you wouldn't show a scene of him, def uh, you know, trying to... Uh, you know, battle against Data in Measure of a Man. But I just wonder if it's a residuals issue at the time. I don't know. Because otherwise it's just baffling. This is akin to Lorraine Gary at the end of Jaws the Revenge, flashing back to Roy Scheider doing his smile, you son of a... It's such a cheat. But I guess it's nice to see Denise Crosby in Season 2. I'll t I guess I'll take that, because I have nothing else to take from this. 
Not the most dramatic explosion. That's pretty good, though. This one's good. You know, you gotta, I guess, give the, the writers props in the sense that, like, they really got their their money's worth out of all those exploding ship shots because, you know, you shoot those once normally and you don't reuse them unless you're Star Trek VI and Generations. Um, but, uh, you know, they managed to shoot some amazing footage and then reuse it. And, you know, well, I guess why not? Now we're just doing this, like, frantic, you know, speed through of all these episodes we already showed. Uh, I, I don't, I don't get it. I think they just showed where no man has been before, or gone, or where no man has gone, or where, where no one has gone before, I should say. Boy, I'm stumbling over that one. Shades of Grey is getting to me, I'm kind of losing brain, uh, brain function. I think he's going to be okay now. We've solved it. Exploding ships have saved Riker. That's one for the books, Pulaski. And this is the last episode for Pulaski, which is kind of sad. I do think Diana Maldor deserved better. I know she wasn't happy on the series, according to the Chaos on the Bridge documentary. But, I, you know, I know people were just like, once they heard Gates McFadden was coming back, it was like, okay, who cares about Pulaski? We don't need to hear from her ever again. But I don't know. Like, I do think this character deserved a little more due. Um, I think she actually contributed something to season two. It makes the season at least stand out a little to me. Because, look, a lot of the episodes are bad, but I feel like she's not... She doesn't fall into that category, you know, the bad category. And, you know, I would have liked some sort of farewell, at least, to her. But she, yeah, very, very much got the unceremonious exit. And, you know, never referenced ever again. No cameos. At least Denise Crosby got, like, Sela. Could have brought Pulaski back as, I don't know. Her, her Klingon offspring. I would believe the dreams you were having, Riker. We saw them. We sat through them. Meanwhile, Michael Dorn is happy at home. Cashing checks, laughing it up, knowing that he did not have to put in any makeup time for this episode. Even LeVar Burton didn't even show up for this scene. Oh, Riker, you're whacked out. It would be amazing if that was ill effects from the probes to the brain and that the whole next season he was like this and thought he was Captain Picard. That would make this episode better than Learning Curve. Nice little gag from Data at the end. I mean, thing is, this is a really bad episode, but the character scenes, kind of, th you know, written throughout, they aren't, like, off-base. They feel true to these characters, generally, so it's not, like, an insult to the characters. It's more just an insult to the show and what what it is and you know the legacy of star trek because the original series never did this kind of crap i mean i guess you could say that the menagerie did but when it was aired no one had seen the cage so you know we give that one a pass uh, and i think actually it's a more compelling two-parter than this is as a one-part episode so 
At any rate, um, I'd like to thank you for joining me on this solo commentary for what is, a, you know, considered by Jordan Hoffman the very worst episode of uh, Star Trek, period, across all, the entire canon. So, uh, you know, hopefully next time it's Tyler sitting in and doing a, you know, commentary on an episode like, I don't know, where Silence has Lisa or Tattoo or something. So you can reach me on Twitter at Cam V is in Very Glad That Shades of Grey is Over, Smith. And look forward to the next great episode of Subspace Transmissions in your podcast feed. So until next time, the arena is closed. complete.